I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. As we've been covering here at KSL News Radio, a new mandate in the infrastructure bill would require that all new cars have breathalyzers in them by 2026. Supporters say this will make the roads safer. Uh, Even some skeptics acknowledge it could help reduce drunk driving deaths. But is there something we're missing in the conversation? Can good ideas have unintended negative consequences? And what can we learn from history about what's going on now? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, as you look at what is in the... Uh, infrastructure deal that was signed into law by the president just a little while ago, uh, that there is a component in there. Again, it wasn't one of those that was widely known to uh, a lot of those other than those who were diving deep into the uh, the many, many pages of uh, that piece of legislation uh, to find out that uh, part of that newly passed infrastructure uh, bill uh, required DUI monitoring devices be built into as part of the manufacturing of new cars by 2026. Uh, and again, the the response to that has been somewhat mixed. Uh, even uh, those who may be a little skeptical said, well, it, you know, that might not be totally a bad thing. Uh, so we're going to dig into this a little bit. Uh, of course, there's some people who've reacted to this and said, oh, this is just government overreach uh, run amok. This is, you know, one more big extension. And so I want to take you back for a minute as we look at all sides of this issue, because I think there's a lot of good questions to be asked. And a lot of questions we ought to be asking ourselves about uh, this particular provision, uh, what it is, what it means, uh, what it could mean down the road, and implications into other areas of law. Uh, so there's lots of questions to be to be asked. So I want to take you back for a moment. Uh, last week, we had political science professor and author uh, Mark Schrad on the program. Uh, he wrote a, an amazing piece uh, in Politico on how the prohibition movement influenced other movements. He talked about uh, how often, as we look at history, uh, those that were uh, trying to uh, be part of that temperance move- movement uh, away from alcohol, that they were kind of the bad guys. And he actually made the case that, you know, maybe we got that wrong. Uh, it wasn't those that were uh, moving the uh, the liquor and the alcohol around. They were They were not the good guys, as they're often portrayed in the movies. Uh, and so it just raised a lot of really interesting questions. Uh, and so I want to dive into this uh, and, again, go back to this conversation we had last week just before Thanksgiving uh, with Mark Schrad talking about how the prohibition 
movement uh, actually had a great impact on a host of other movements in our country. Take a listen. When it comes to looking at, uh, you know, sort of how temperance fits into sort of these reform movements, not only in the United States, but around the globe, you know, essentially they were always making common cause. It was like a, a weapon of the week, as it were. It was, you know, sort of the... Uh, like a Trojan horse movement for oppressed peoples and, and people who didn't have political, um, you know, political power. They didn't have representation. So, uh, so it dovetailed obviously with women and, and suffragist movements, uh, with the abolitionist movement in the United States, with with nationalist movements in places like, uh, you know, in in uh, Ireland and India and uh, you know South Africa and, and so on. So, um, so it was it was always just uh, you know kind of taking a global perspective on this kind of takes our conventional wisdom and just kind of flips it completely on our heads. And, and once you start recognizing that they weren't fighting against, you know, the, the stuff in the bottle necessarily, yeah. but were against sort of this, this predatory, you know, capitalism, uh, you find that, you know, like all of America's great heroes in one way or another kind of turned out to be prohibitionists. That's an interesting uh, take there. So uh, the professor really made this case in a in just a unique way that uh, that we've often mischaracterized what that prohibition movement was really all about. Uh, and he studied this not not just here in the United States, but has uh, studied this uh, as it occurred around the world, and how for the prohibitionists it really wasn't about what was in the bottle, so it wasn't about the drink. Uh, he also said it wasn't about the drunk. <laughs> Those who 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 partook of it, uh, he said it was about this predatory capitalism uh, that was really hurting uh, the middle class and the poor the most. Uh, that they were spending all their money on this, that they it was causing them to uh, be less effective in their work, in their communities, in their family relationships, uh, and said so. It was really this different thing in terms of how it was keeping uh, the everyday American and everyday citizens around the world. Uh, down in this weak spot. Uh, and I thought that was so fascinating to think of it that way. Uh, I also love the fact that he connected uh, this particular movement, the Prohibition Movement, uh, was really the training ground. It was a training place for so many who took place in the in the women's suffrage movement, uh, in the abolitionist movement. Uh, and so, so many of these things, uh, people learned the leadership skills, the organizational skills, the communication skills uh, were all part of that. Now, I want to play with you one more uh, section of this interview I had with Mark Schrad, again, a political science professor uh, and author, great piece in Politico. Uh, but he gave this example, uh, a, a global, uh, again, talking about some global global perspective in terms of the prohibition movement. And this one is most fascinating because it had to do with uh, a, Turkish, a Turkish nationalist uh, and how uh, prohibition played in there. Probably the most interesting one from like an international perspective uh, is the, the, the Turkish nationalist uh, Kemal Ataturk. Um, and what's interesting about Ataturk is that uh, he was probably the drunkest leader in all of world history. Uh, he died, I think, at the age of 53 from like liver cirrhosis. He drank uh, like, like a bottle of hard alcohol, a di- you know, a, 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 one a day. Um, and... Uh, all he did was was to, you know drinks coffee in the morning and cigarettes and alcohol, um, but uh, so it, it was kind of a weird thing. But he was also a prohibitionist, um, and again, it was it was not because he had any you know uh, deep seated religious belief. He was a secularist uh, across the board, but 
more about, you know, if we prohibit, you know, this is how the, the Greeks and the British and the Europeans at that point in time were making money was by selling alcohol to, uh, you know, to the folks in the, the Ottoman Empire and then Turkey. Uh, and so it was it was part of that liberation it was part of that movement for for national uh, liberty from sort of the yoke of colonialism. I just find that so fascinating that uh, here this leader, this Turkish nationalist uh, who drank a bottle of hard liquor every day, was also a prohibitionist. <laughs> think about that. That's a that's a little think again moment for you. Uh, and again, not because of what was in the bottle. It was what was happening uh, that so many of these other countries were using it as a way to keep that people done. So one, they were using it to make money, uh, and then they were also using it. Uh, you could probably draw some similarities to some of the things we've seen with Big Pharma in terms of opioids. Uh, and uh, again, it's uh, they have a purpose. There is a place. So it's not about that. Uh, it's about so much more. Uh, and so I thought that was a really important part for us to uh, start with. Uh, again, as we talk about breathalyzers in cars, again, something that was tucked into uh, the uh, the uh, bill signed by the president uh, just a week ago, or I guess almost two weeks ago now, uh, on the infrastructure deal that uh, all cars will have DUI monitors by 2026. Uh, so we want to stay with the conversation on this one just a, a little bit as we uh, go forward, because there's a, there's a lot to this uh, that we need to really ferret out just a little bit. Uh, and that is some people say, well, I'm not worried about having that in my car uh, because I got nothing to hide. And so we're going to discuss why that kind of perspective could get us in trouble. And some of these things that sound really good on the front end to maybe alleviate the suffering of some might create suffering for many later on. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.